tonight on Arena. We review the new production of Tartuffe at the Abbey Theatre and we have live music from a string trio comprising musicians from Russia, Ukraine and Hungary. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. A young con artist masked in fake piety worms his way into a wealthy household in Mulliers Tartuffe. Frank McGuinness gives us a modern twist to this 17th century French satire in a new production that has just opened at the Abbey Theatre. Katrina McLaughlin directs. Ryan, Do- Ryan Donaldson is in the title role. And a strong ensemble, including Frank McCusker, Ashley McGuckin and Geraldine Plunkett feature as well. Helen Meany went to see the show for us. She's with me in studio this evening. Um, we're, we're talking about um, the 17th century here uh, when this premiered, the Molière version in the court of King Louis Fourteenth. It was banned. So it ruffled feathers at that time, particularly the feathers of those in the church, I think, Helen. Yes, yes. And in fact, the, the, the hearsay is that Louis XIV himself laughed and laughed and thought it was brilliant and hilarious. But uh, it had that... Then one- piously banned uh, it. Yes, and then the, then the, the, the church uh, really uh, reacted badly mm. to the depiction of, of the religious hypocrisy of this main character, Tartuffe. But actually, the ban only lasted for five years. And... and uh, uh, Moliere rewrote it and turned it into a, a five-act play, and it had a, it had a life, and it's been performed and is now deemed an absolute classic of French theatre. Mm. And it was last year there were major celebrations of Moliere for the 400th anniversary, yeah. and, and uh, Tartuffe featured widely. Quite widely yeah, uh, it's if, if translations often presented as either the imposter or the hypocrite. Um, who's the imposter? Who's the hypocrite? Who's the villain? I guess we're talking about the, here. The, the villain is yeah the eponymous uh, uh, Tartuffe, and in fact that that his name is, was turned into a verb, and you know, to, and you could say you could you were going to be Tartuffed, as in um, hoodwinked conned, and, and conned. Whatever, yeah. Yes, so he is he is someone who is pretending uh, to be very pious. Uh, he's pretending to be poor and humble and simple, and he has managed to to. Con- Convince uh, the, his host of a very, a very well-heeled, well-to-do family. Uh, his host Orgon is really taken by him. He's kind of infatuated in a way hmm. by Tartuffe, and I think he's he's thinking. You know, he thinks that this somehow this relationship with this uh, holy man will kind of redeem him as well. It will be his, his salvation. And you know, he's he's living a, a life of, of the family lives in great high style and luxury. So there, I think there. Are, the point is that he's feeling that he needs to have, live a simpler, live right. a simpler life. So he needs he needs to learn a lesson. I guess if at any point, any many contemporary moment, you could translate an awful lot or transfer an awful lot of that into any contemporary moment over the over the past three centuries. Let's be honest. So, what does Frank McGuinness do with it in terms of updating it or bringing it into some kind of contemporary setting? Well, he so he's he keeps the uh, rhyming couplets, uh, or he renders it his English translation into uh, rhyming couplets mm. with a very uh, noticeable sort of Donegal or Ulster kind of uh, would, flavor to it, and accent. very very yeah. colloquial, very colloquial, uh, northern colloquial, and uh, quite down to earth, quite earthy, quite blunt uh, actually, and so it's 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 definitely anti heroic. It's not it's not grand, um, but he doesn't up 
update. It doesn't make any changes that say this is this is now, or this is the 21st century in, in any very explicit way. Mm. Um, and the production um, directed by Katrina McLaughlin um, places it in a, this a very, very gla- grand sort of ballroom setting or with, with paint, painted walls and uh, pe- co- people, yeah. costumes are, are ball gowns and full frock coats. So yeah, we're, we're Katrina- somewhere, and, and, but also mixed with, with contemporary, with trainers and with desert boots. And, All right. So it's the co- costumes are a mashup. We are in 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 a very very fine uh, grand mansion actually that could be that could be 17th century or could be later. It's deliberately not clear, but it's not today. So, but the costumes because uh, Katrina McLaughlin uh, describes the play as quote basically Twitter in periwigs, brutal and hilarious <laughs> is what is how she she describes it. So uh, are we in? And a non, it's an undefined moment in time. The, the, the costumes to some extent suggest contemporary, but they still have 17th century or 18th century feels to them. Oh, they do. They, they look like period period mm. costumes with some modern twists. And and it is it is a period um, space that they're in, a, a, a kind of a country house estate mm. or a very large domain with um, with Katie Davenport's set has receding corridors. So it's this sense of a, of a very grand place and also with sort of hidden doors and people, uh, the ability for people to hide and be unseen and, and to eavesdrop. Yeah, so it's not overhear conversations. It's yeah. not quite bedroom farce, but mm. you can have that facility that somebody, you know that they shouldn't be hearing this yes, conversation exactly, exactly. or this is an important bit of information that they will now use to their to their, to their advantage and to our for our entertainment. Yes, yeah, so so, so uh, Tartuffe. At one point, there is a risk that he's going to be marry the daughter of the house, and he's also has got designs. His designs not only on Organ's wealth, but also on his wife. Yeah, so, so let's explain. Organ is played by devious. Organ is played by Frank McCusker. He's the he's the the, the owner of this very yes, wealthy house. The, he's the his, patriarch. It is yeah. a very patriarchal uh, world. Where and his wife uh, Elmira is played by Ashley McGuckin. Yes, really, really well, actually. Um, and she's she's extremely spirited, and she and she she stages. Uh, she she has her husband hiding under a table while she she uh, sort mm. of uh, invites, if you like, a seduction scene with Tartuffe to expose to expose to him and to everybody else what he's actually up to. So that's that that's the kind of very famous comic scene at the centre of the play. Uh, so that all happens on the dining table. The dining table kind of dominates the space. So at the same time as that as that kind of period formality, you have laptops and mobile phones that are used sort of intermittently. Mm. They're not really incorporated into the way into the fully into the staging for example there's no characters recording on a phone or anything like that so they're they're more like props um so i think i think the problem uh for me with this was the fact that it was not a specific world or i don't mean that i thought it think it has to be in Ireland today or anything anything so reductive but I think it does need to refer to our to our world uh, and for it to have its satirical sort of analogies yeah, with, because with today the, the piety religious piety is a big part of the of, of the is, play yes. um, does that hold sway in contemporary society to the same extent it as really it might doesn't have done ha- a it generation really, ago it really doesn't have the same impact when I, I mean I think if you were to think about the world globally maybe if you were to have it as some sort of absolute um, 
zealot or fundamentalist, mm. um, but that's not how this character is is portrayed. His 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 faith is quite mild, actually, and I think the whole, the problem with the portrayal of Tartuffe, he doesn't. This have, is as played by as, uh, Ryan Donaldson. Uh, yes, is that he isn't can, doesn't have that the charisma and danger of a real zealot. He's not strange enough, and he's and he doesn't he doesn't have that mesmerizing attraction mm. and allure that I think in order for this to make any sense. He has to have. And what about the the other performances? You've mentioned Ashley McGuckin as uh, Elmira, uh, the wife to Organ, Organ played by um, Frank McCusker and the mother, Geraldine Plunkett. Plays. Yes, Geraldine Plunkett is very good, actually. And she's a great scene at the beginning where she is, she's inclined towards the sort of puritanical views of Tartuffe because being of the older generation, she disapproves of the young people who and are so having she thinks who are having raves. A great fella. Yes, she does. And, and there's, some, there's some nice comic moments there, mm. sort of slapstick moments where she's incredibly Incredibly violent to her young, her young, unfortunate young uh, maidservant. Uh, so there's there's a bit of slapstick there, and then it and then it it sort of calms down because it's it's two more acts before Tartuffe actually appears. So there's a long a lot of the first two acts are all about just the the family members and the servants dis- discussing how terrible he is, you know, and, and basically what a horrible parasite. Yeah. So there's a long build up to his to, to his, his arrival, eventual entry. Yeah. So he's he's kind of been built up. You're expecting something amazing when he yes, does arrive. Yes. Pauline Hutton plays. Um, this is one of the servants in. Yes, in she's the, very prominent character. She's she's almost trying to stage manage all of the mm. uh, the tricks. Um, she's very very uh, very prominent. Um, I wasn't mad about her performance actually because I thought it was a little bit one note. Um, but the when the ensemble works, it's good. But actually, the it it does drag, and I think the fact that um, it's it's not actually it doesn't feel like it has anything much to say. Um, it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity. Whereas, you know, Katrina McLaughlin's program notes are very, very interesting. So it's obvious she had lots of lots of interesting ideas. She was stage. talking about the difference between shame and guilt, and she was talking about cancel culture and and sort of social media and all these things that didn't actually come through in the in what in what we see on stage. And it could just be that they needed more time in the rehearsal. I, I don't know, but it, it it you could see that she has thought about Molière's mm. play a lot, but it didn't. For me, it just it just felt um, as if it was happening in in a vacuum. Right. So you were disappointed, it would seem. Yeah, I, I was. I was a bit. So you're not, you're not you're not giving it a, a ringing recommendation. No, I have very mixed mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Mixed feelings on Tartuffe. That uh, is what Helen Meany has to say about Molière's Tartuffe. New version, Tartuffe rather, new version from Frank McGuinness runs at the Abbey through until the eighth of April. It then tours to the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick, the Black Box in Galway, Lyric Theatre in Belfast, and Greenan in Donegal, and Cork Opera House in Cork, of course. And you can find out full details on Abbey Theatre. Good news for fans of classical music. A trio of some of the finest classical musicians anywhere in Europe has just arrived in Ireland. Ukrainian Ukrainian, uh, viola player Maxim Rysanov, Russian violist Nikita Borisoglebsky and Hungarian cellist Dora Kokash have come to these shores courtesy of Music Network and will be touring around the country over the next week. The programme they will perform includes works for String Trio by Mozart Beethoven as well as a newly commissioned work by Irish composer Ed Bennett. They're with me in Studio 7 this this evening and I am delighted to have live music back in studio with us. Uh, I think we're going to start with the scherzo from Beethoven.
There we had it. The third movement, the scherzo movement there from the string trio number three in G major, opus nine, number one of Ludwig van Beethoven. And we had Maxim Rusanov on viola, Nikita Borisoglebski on violin and Dora Kokash on cello in that performance. I, I said at the very beginning, um, Maxim, I pointed out that we had a Russian, a Ukrainian and a Hungarian in, in this mix. Obviously, the Russian-Ukrainian aspect of the of the trio is is really noteworthy given the, the current state of affairs in that part of the world. Uh, it's absolutely crazy what is happening. But uh, the thing is that Nikita and I, we know each other from a long time ago. Um, since I'm half or any part, uh, my father is actually from, he was born in Moscow. Uh, and uh, I've had quite an, quite an extensive career in Russia until last February, and since then I don't go to Russia anymore. But Nikita um, has moved to Europe, uh, and he now lives in Vienna. Therefore, we have um, we have an opportunity to play more, just mm. as we did before. So we we actually have performed a lot before, and he was in fact the first one to. Uh, you know, to text me uh, saying how incredibly sorry and ashamed he is about uh, his country and uh, asking me how your relatives are and many other friends, however... uh, have done the same. Yeah, Nikita, I'm, 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 you're not answerable, obviously, for everything that happens from from within your country. It must be difficult for you, though, and I'm sure every time you speak to somebody, it's it's a question that comes very quickly. You mean difficult? Yeah, that it's difficult. Yeah. You know that this is a constant question and a constant situation that you're asked about. Uh, yeah, well, luckily not not that often. But uh, you know the fact that I have moved, I think it it mm. speaks by itself. Well, of course it's 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 difficult, but uh, Nikita, just, yeah. Nikita has uh, basically a Russian-based uh, solo career. He's an artist of people. He has he has all these. You know, how, how do you call that? <laughs> it's <laughs> called uh, honorary honorary artist of Russian people's Federation, yeah. Yeah, and, which is and uh, the fact that he has moved countries. Uh, and doesn't go back, and um, he had to find um, other opportunities to to yeah. fight for his uh, life as a musician. So um, I, I, this is partly why I I invited Nikita because I know that it's difficult times for him. Yeah, well, that's what's what's interesting about the conversation is Nikita but is quite. Yeah, but still, I think we yeah as 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 I mentioned that we have uh, we had actually some difficulties last year, but still, uh, I think we made the right decision. So we, we don't regret with my wife. I mean, yeah. let me move. So, well, yeah. look, um, and we are really waiting for the moment when that all will stop. Yeah, I think you're not alone. You're not alone yeah, on that. Yeah. Let, us, let us go to the music and the beautiful Beethoven that we just heard. Um, the string trio um, is, is an interesting uh, collection or ensemble, really, when you think about it. Some would say there's a violin missing. Um, <laughs> where where is he or she gone? Um, because we have a, a violin, a viola, and 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 a cello. As the viola player in in the mix, was there something that particularly? Well, obviously, I have to cover both viola and the second <laughs> violin part. Uh, no, but the string trio is is a slightly freer uh, mm. combination than a string quartet. Dora has a lot of experience with string quartet because well, just like Nikita. Well, yeah. Nik- Nikita currently uh, wor- yeah. works with the string quartet in Berlin, but you have had. But uh, years, but I think the string less. trio gives a little bit more <laughs> solo opportunities. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, because I mean, in in the second that we just heard there, Dora, for example, you know, we have that very bounce 
dancing, buoyant opening section, and then it yeah. goes into the the slower kind of middle section. That the trio is that the trio section itself, yeah. where the cello takes over. Exactly, the, it's the, the second the melody. Yeah, I mean the string quartet is marriage to four people. I I would say that's the best way to describe it. But in this trio, is only two people who are and married. And in this trio, I'm only married to Maxim. No, but uh, really, just like um, it's so. I feel it that it's much more difficult the string quartet uh, setup than the trio. So it's true that you have more opportunities to shine. Yeah, for for, for each, your instrument. For each of the instruments, and you know each. Each musician has a very strong characters usually, and we only need to share it with two others and not three others. <laughs> so, and also the fact that there are two violinists who usually quite a lot play in octaves. Yeah. So intonation sound uh, is much more difficult to create in a string quartet. I thought you were going to say they usually hate each other. <laughs> I'm not going down that yeah. road. <laughs> she has to go back and talk to the other members of the quartet yeah, that she right. plays with. Let, let us keep. So the viola player is the agitator here, Maxim. Clearly, yeah. um, not really. Yeah. I'm just playing around. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, string trio. I mean, it doesn't really have so much repertoire that one can. If if one has uh, a set ensemble as a string trio, then there there are at some point. D- uh, difficulties appearing in. that we can't really yeah. have a full life based on on this. Yeah. Whether the string quartet is has so much repertoire that is, yeah, they can survive from it. And it's much more rare that you have a string, string trio. trio. Yeah. You have piano yeah, trio. You have quartet. But yeah. yeah. And the string trio is often just that one member of a quartet takes, <laughs> takes a night <laughs> off. But Beethoven, this is a very young bit. That was a very young Beethoven, really. Mm. That that we heard that composition. Um, do, do you see within the, the Beethoven work, you know, s- signs of what was to come later on in his I life? I find young Beethoven so incredibly interesting. And as much as he, he was uh, even not, I wouldn't say co- trying to copy Mozart, but uh, um, but definitely being extremely influenced by, by Mozart, um, he, he sounds so, um, his ideas, even the first trio out of the whole set, the E-flat major trio, was written as a, a, a sort of copy to the divertimento, and then and then obviously he starts to, mm. to develop his own style. But I find it's much more humoristic. So the older Beethoven gets, the more deaf he becomes, <laughs> the more angry and yeah. more religious he becomes. So it's he very disattaches, yeah. disattaches from the from the humanity. He doesn't like any more people around him. Yeah, because funny. But enough, young Beethoven is still a nice, funny guy. Yeah, well, the funny <laughs> when, when I was listening to the Scherzo movement there, uh, and we had just been talking about Tartuffe. Now it's a little bit later than Tartuffe. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. kind of scherzo lightness right, is, right. is what you might expect from a yeah. Molière, from that kind of funny play. I know it is the scherzo movement. I presume there are, you know, more serious movements and That's more right, serious yeah. movements yeah. in there yeah. as, as, as well. Tell me a little bit about the new piece that you're playing. And this is very much something that uh, Music Network do quite regularly is to, to have a new, um, a, a new work within uh, a touring uh, uh, concert. Imbolc Meditation by Ed Bennett. Were you aware of this Imbolc, this Celtic festival of the February the 1st? Uh, no, no, I wasn't actually. And it's very interesting to, to have come across via uh, this particular case. Um, so uh, the story goes that there was a commission and we were not told by, by whom. And then we, when we when we received the, the the scores, we realized that it was actually an old friend of mine who I've uh, come across quite quite a few years ago, um, playing some of his music. In fact, uh, even in Moscow, I think he he was a regular. He works a lot with Roman 
uh, another friend of ours who uh, who used to run another guy who escaped Russia another uh, a guy who who uh, um, plays a lot of contemporary music so mm. so that's how the whole bunch got reunited uh, now that Ed writes to me I'm writing a piece for you and so uh, just, I, I'm going to really I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing him tomorrow he's coming to to our rehearsal but uh, the piece itself is is exactly how you described it it's uh, it's 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 an interesting it's it's very minim- minimalistic and it's it's basically a picture uh of there's it, not much happening there's there's a little bit of development and it's only seven minutes long so you have to as listener has to put uh, themselves into a special mood yeah and just you know have um uh let, let, let themselves let be themselves carried. be carried with yeah. those chords that are constant waves, waves yeah, yeah. Um, the Kellerman Quartet, one of Hungar- Hungary's leading ensembles, is what I want to finish with. Oh, and immediately Dora sits up uh, very straight. Yeah, that excites you. What, what are your memories? I'm very interested what you are about to ask. <laughs> I, I, you, you were 18, hugely successful venture into the classical world. You got to tour the world with that quartet. 18 years of age, an emerging cellist with a world-class quartet. Actually, I was that? 17. Oh, I'm, I'm exaggerating <laughs> again. <laughs> no, um, um, I was 17. I was still a student. Um, all the members are 14 years older than me. So there mm. was always a teacher-student relationship, as well as my sister and my sister's husband is in the quartet. So it was also family. And then, as I told you, string quartet is somehow to be married to four people. So it's a very difficult combination especially being so young, playing very um, mature, difficult pieces as late Beethoven's or Bartok string quartets, um, sort of throwing me into the deep water and, you know, learn to swim. Um, And then we really just took it seriously and very quickly we went to competitions where we succeeded and therefore we were invited to really great halls of, you know, of our world. Um, and then I left. <laughs> <laughs> After five years um, of playing string quartet, I left because being uh, 22, I realized that what if the quartet stops? Then what am I going to do? I'm only you know, qualified yeah. to play string quartet and I wanted to play more, than play more on my own. And yeah. so I continued with solo competitions. Yeah, solo and, of course, the, the trio that yeah. we're experiencing. <laughs> the second piece you got, you've, you've taken a little, uh, it's a section from the Mozart Divertimento. It's an excerpt from, from the Andante. We're going to play the minor and major. It's, it's, a, it's a theme and variations movement, so you're going to give yeah. us a, a, the, the, the tail end of it. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, um, you go, get yourselves back over to the to the playing position from the from the speaking position, and I will give you details of the Music Network tour. Obviously, as always with Music Network, travels all over the country, um, with full details on musicnetwork.ie. But to finish up, let us listen then to some of that andante from the Mozart uh, Divertimento String Trio in E flat major. Sounds 
So beautiful and beautiful to get from that uh, slow andante into the, the very lively ending. It's the fourth movement. Is that, was that, is that the fourth movement of the work? Yes, yeah. from the Divertimento uh, for String Trio of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. One of the pieces, along with the Beethoven uh, and indeed the Ed Bennett pieces we were speaking of as well, that will be played by um, by, by, by Maxim Rysanov on viola, Nikita Borisoglebski on violin and cellist Dora Kokash. Trio opened their tour yesterday in Bantry County Cork. They will be at St Anne's Church in Dawson Street in Dublin tomorrow evening followed by performances in Dunera, Kilkenny Wicklow, Leitrim, Donegal and Galway full details on the website musicnetwork.ie Fishamble, the new play company, is celebrating 35 years of bringing new writing to stages in Ireland and around the world. And for the first time, they have collaborated with the Irish Repertory Theatre in New York to launch the inaugural Transatlantic Commissions. This new endeavour aims to address the historical inequalities in representation that have existed in the theatrical canon. Together, Fishamble and the Irish Rep commissioned four black Irish artists and writers of colour to work with a mentor over the course of a year to create new short works that will be presented as readings in Dublin, New York, San Francisco and Los Angeles. One of the playwrights taking part in Transatlantic Commissions is Jade Jordan, uh, who, along with the Director of Play Development at the Irish Rep, Nicola Murphy, are both with me in studio uh, this evening. <laughs> we kind of thought one of you was going to be in New York, but no, we're delighted that you're both. Two for the price of one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Surprise. Both, both here, absolutely. I suppose, Jade, uh, many of our listeners will know you from, you know, from the telly in particular, Kin, The Virtues, uh, You Are Not My Mother and, and Rosie, some of the more recent um, things that you've been involved in. But you're also a filmmaker in your own right. You're the author of the memoir, Nana, Ma and Me. And now... Playwright is added to the list of achievements. Or has that been going on in the background all along? Oh, what an introduction. Thank you. Um, first time to do a play, actually, um, which is super scary. They, I was approached by Fishamble and Irish Rep. And yeah, they came forward and asked would I be interested in writing a play? And I thought it's an incredible opportunity. Why not? Yeah. So I put my hand to it and. I've done a play, a twenty minute play. <laughs> um, so and yeah. how open? How open was the remit when when Jim and Nicola approached you to say, "Would you do this play?" You know, was it on anything you want, or was there a specific? Absolutely anything we wanted. Yeah. So, so what came out of the wash? Came out of the wash for me was a story that I've wanted to tell as an actor for a really long time. Um, I've decided to write about Christine Buckley, who I'm sure you're aware mm. of who she is. Um, so I did that. I have told a snippet of, of her story um, with the hope to go on and do a full-length play. Um, I do feel with it being a transatlantic commission, telling a story like that overseas is extremely important. That's that's an amazing project to take on. Uh, it's a big one, hey? Are you are you going to who's going to read it? Myself. You, you're going to read it yourself as well. Is that that's that's an extraordinary start to to this to this set of commissions, oh, yeah. Nicola? Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're really excited. I mean, we have four very unique um, different pieces, mm. you know, just to your point there about um, the sort of remit. We didn't really put any particular theme around it. You know, early on, I think we said something like, if if you need inspiration, we can use the four seasons, <laughs> spring, summer, autumn, winter. But like we didn't need it, you yeah. know, everyone just went away and sort of decided what they wanted to write about and worked under the mentorship of um, Dale Orlander Smith, who's a wonderful writer and performer, um, Pulitzer Prize finalist based out of New York, um, which was just a, another great 
sort of way to really make this a transatlantic project. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everybody has has come up with a very different piece, which is great. And and going back then, Jade, to this this idea that if, how did that affect how you approached telling Christine Buckley's story? Uh, the play is called Eighty uh, Nine. Yeah. So we're in. Are we in nineteen eighty nine? Is that we're not eighty nine? Um, became Christine's name oh. in the industrial home. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought about calling it Christine. There were so many different names I had for the piece and it just kept coming back to that. Like, children in, in industrial homes actually didn't even know their own names because they were referred to as a number. And that for me is just... So I, I, I decided mm. to stick with that. Now, if I go on and do something further, it might change, but... Um, it's a wonderful title and it's a I, wonderful reason I, for the title. I, yeah, how did you go about researching her life and her story, Christine's life and story? I was really young when it all came to the surface. So I was born in 88. It all, she basically had a conversation with her father on the radio. I don't know if you remember in 1992 and that kind of, the phone started hopping and everyone started coming out and speaking about their story. So I was really young, but actually when Christine um, was alive, I actually had met her a couple of times. Had you? She was a family friend, yes. Um, mm. True, a family friend, a friend mm. of a friend. Um, I just remember meeting her when I was probably about 10 and I was transfixed by this woman. Her presence, yeah, and I've just always wanted to be her. It's it's really hard to explain. Yeah, but it, well, you're explaining it very well. But also the, the, the fact that as a 10-year-old, her story or whatever, her person, her character really spoke to you. I mean, was acting, was writing, was was all of that in the back of your mind, even as a 10-year-old? Well, I, I maybe. I mean, a friend just said to me today, do you remember the first time you met and you told me, that you'll play her one day. And I was like, oh God, I did, yeah. <laughs> so you had said this to a, to a school pal? Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? See it, believe it, isn't it? That's the crack. Yeah. See it, believe it. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a big story. It's She's a, an a, incredible hero. So, Well, to, yeah. to, to, take a, to, to tell the story of somebody who has been through an experience or a set of experiences like Christine Buckley was through is, is quite a task to take on. In terms of the play, and this is a 20-minute section that you're hoping will be developed further, have you concentrated on a specific period of her life or what have you done for this bit? Um, For this bit, I've decided to focus on um, the earlier parts of her life. Um, So post-Golden Bridge, um, what kind of led her to find her family, to dig more into that and really push being filled with fob offs her whole life what mm. it was that was a turning point. As an actor, I, I I don't know if I'm right. I've decided to do it that there was a specific moment in her life, something was taken from her that really led her to want to know her mother. Um, I don't really want to give it too much away, sure, what I've yeah. done, but um, I think I'm on the right track. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. It, I mean, it's been hard to, to write. It, yeah, it, it has, but yeah. it's, it's also been... Amazing, and it's an honour to be able to do that. So, and, and yeah. Nicola, I mean, when when I listen to Jade describing it, there, I think, well, what kind of mentorship does she need? Nothing other than here, there's the computer, or there's a pen and a bit mm-hmm. of paper. Off you go and write it. <laughs> but I'm guessing the mentorship here from yourself and and Jim, because you're you'll co-direct the readings and and the of and these performances. 
Exactly. So, um, so Dale Orlander Smith acted as the mentor. Just, I think really Jade can probably speak to that better than me because that was sort of very private between mm. Dale and the writers. But I think just having her there as a guide and sort of as a person to bounce ideas off um, was really helpful. And then myself and Jim, you know, we're at the point now where we come in as as co-directors and sort of help you know, bring this off the page a little bit and also to help um, relieve some of that pressure of like, you know, writing your own work and performing your own work can be difficult. So it's nice, I think, to have an outside perspective sometimes yeah, as well. And so will you co-direct all four players or would you, you know, divide them up two, two and two? No, we're <laughs> going to co-direct. Co-direct yeah, all yeah, four. Yeah, all four, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, that, I suppose that's simply because you can't, you don't have to fight over who's yeah, doing. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm being murdered in the rehearsal room tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, myself and Jim work really well together, so I, I think we're both, you know, looking forward to the collaboration. Absolutely. And uh, you, you, Nicola mentioning Dale uh, or, or Lander Smith there, and, uh, and she was saying you can speak more to the type of mentorship that he gave you. What, what, what kind of? Because as a writer, uh, what did you feel you needed? I was about to say what I thought you might need, but you know what you wanted and you know what you needed. Somebody to listen to you. And Dale was amazing at that. She's fantastic. She's such a great person. Um, She didn't really kind of tell you specifically, you need Mm. to go this way. She just let you do your own work and maybe would give a bit of advice. Maybe if we were focusing on a specific character, go away and keep a diary of that character, which I did for two weeks. Um, and then she'd just come back and give you different ideas. She was she yeah. was just, it was a support. Um, it, yeah. it, it strikes me too, though, that you, you you really are approaching this from the actor-writer side of things. Uh, you know, the, the, how, how much do you think your acting is informing what you're putting down on the page? Because you will... The hope is, I'm guessing, if you get this to a full length play, that you will perform the piece. You're performing the reading. A hundred percent. You so, never get to write write a one woman show for yourself, do you? So you've got to be clever about these things. Because, um, yeah, you're not always super busy as an actor. So you constantly need to be thinking of what you can do um, yeah. to keep the juices flowing, you know. Um, but yeah, but let's see on, on Wednesday yeah. <laughs> how <laughs> it goes. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I'd love to be <laughs> in the fly on the wall at the, at the rehearsals. At any rate, just tell us a little bit about um, maybe the other three players. Who's mm-hmm. involved, Nicola? Um, Feli Speaks and her play is called Bent. Yeah, so um, that's a play, again, a short play about um, a young woman who's sort of trying to step into her own purpose. She's influenced by um, a lot of different male energies in her life that are all sort of well-meaning, but it's really kind of her journey to finding her own uh, purpose and her own path. Mm. And obviously with Feli Speaks, there's some beautiful theatrical dialogue and then we have some lovely poetry that weaves in and out of that as well. Um, And then we have C.N. Smith, who's written a piece called Cork Town, which is, um, it just set over a night in uh, 1960s uh, Detroit, where we have an Irish immigrant who gets a knock on her door and on the other side, is this African-American woman who's, um, Jade's looking at me like, I'm learning all this for the first time, <laughs> um, who, who's come to to stay in that apartment and they have a little bit of a scuffle and then we, we see what happens yeah. next. And then with um, Quakey Fortune has written The Black Wolf Tone, which is a piece which um, deals in a very real and raw way with uh, mental health and um, identity. Are they all one person shows or are there some that have more than one cast member? Yeah, so Kwaku and Jade's are one person shows and then um, uh, Felicia's has three characters in it. Mm. Well, four. Yeah. 
Um, uh, there's the male character sort of plays many different parts, um, and then um, with CNs, there's two. It's two hander. Yeah, and and we'll get a chance then to see them all in in one evening. That exactly that would be the plan. Well, yep. you can see them in lots of different places. Yep. <laughs> uh, you can attend the readings in Dublin at the Project Cube. That's this Wednesday, the fifteenth of March. Then at the Irish Repertory in New York on the 20th and 21st of March and later in the month, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Great trip to be heading off on as well, Jude. I know. Tough job, but somebody has to do it. Is that the way of it? That's it. That's it. Well, look, Wednesday um, we open a project, then New York, and am I allowed to say who's doing LA? Yeah, I think so. So myself and Quaku aren't doing LA or San Fran because we're in work, but we have the gorgeous Route Nega doing our, our plays in, can oh, you believe super. it? super, that's brilliant. What's the chances? That's amazing. So that's, she will be doing um, my play and Felicia's, am I right? Yes, Felicia Speaks um, and also um, CNs. That's wicked, well. right? That How is. lucky. I mean, they text and they emailed and were like, can she read your play? I was like, oh my God, absolutely. Of course she can. Um, well, can I just say one thing? Yes, I just want to say thank you so much to Fish Amble for the support and the opportunity and the same to yeah. Irish Rep. It's really been well, amazing. Listen, it, it sounds like a great project. Really best amazing. Of luck, best of luck with it all. Thank and you. And we will see what happens with it and we'll develop further. Um, thanks, so, thanks so much to coming in for coming into us this evening. That's Jay Jordan and Nicola Murphy and fishamble.com for full details on all of that. Well, it was an exciting weekend with the Oscars, wasn't it? Um, Films in Irish currently enjoying huge international success. Colleen Kuhn very much at the forefront of that. But shorter films in the Irish language have been a staple of big and small Irish screens for generations. A vast body of work exists and is preserved in the IFI Irish Film Archive. And to Mark Shotham the Gaelge, there's a special collection of Irish language short films selected from this archive and presented digitally, free to view, worldwide. The short films within the collection offer a variety of genres and formats, drama, documentary, newsreels and public information films. The films capture Irish life from as early as the 1940s right up to recent times, demonstrating all sorts of breadth of activity, creative use of the Irish language across many decades in the medium of film. Joined this evening by Suniva O'Flynn from the IFI. It's a, how, how big an archive is this, Suniva? Was it, was it a labour of love to go in and lose yourself in there for several weeks or months and pick out um, stuff to show us? Do you know what, John? It's the, the films that we have uh, in the Gearsganon own Cartland collection, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, we do have a vast collection. And what we decided to do was to create this cluster of films that would just kind of introduce people to the short Irish language form. And, you know, it's just a route in for people so they can get enjoy the route and then start to route and, mm. and find all sorts of wonderful films. So, yeah, I mean, as you said, there's all sorts of formats there from documentaries to newsreels uh, to, to short dramas. Yeah. It's a really, a really rich resource. Look, you're going to give us a, a couple of highlights this evening just to whet people's appetite. But as you say, there's a, there's a lot there and it's all available free to view digitally. This is Skonon O Milanigid Shaska 3, film from 1973, an Oscar nominated documentary. Sheriff, do we do anything but Oscar nominated films? I ask myself these days. 
I know, I know. Well, so this is Louis Marcus's yeah. film about children learning about Montessori methods in a couple of schools around Dublin and Wicklow. And it's a beautiful little piece that's in Irish and English. So yeah. the voiceover, um, there's a woman speaking English and then a man speaking Irish. Um, but a lovely little piece. And yeah, Oscar nominated. And Louis was nominated twice, actually, in the short film form. And he was a person who was um, commissioned regularly by Guy Lynn, um, who would have had a number of terrific short mm. often kind of comedic films that were shown in the 60s and 70s so they really were leaders in in the whole area of kind of uh, popularizing or normalizing our you know, the Irish language mm. um you know following the, it, the, their our Karen newsreel series which you probably know which yeah. was 1957 to 63 so there's over 250 issues of wow. the newsreel and lots of people over well, a little older than me would remember it, you know, from, from that early period. Let's have a listen to uh, a little clip from Posh Diagobar. And it's a bailiff and Gaw Kyango Kuncho. We'll hear both languages. Gwilga August Berla. Play for children is work. And the work of the child is to grow and develop his own potential. And this he can do through play that has an educational value. Smoin of Noah. Agasins Nescolina Shaw, Kutter and Smuina Bevain, Kutter and Law, Agasin Tui, Legobiri Jun. Tainobar, Shimpli Galore, Leve Hindianta, Octacor Galore, Leve Speciuil. Sugranobir, Octisobar Dariri. Lovely music in the midst of all that I as well. Sean... Go, yeah. go ahead, Sadiva. Sorry, I am here. Yes, sorry. Yeah, um, I, I missed your question there, Sean. No, no, that's grand. I was just saying um, the, the music there, the music there is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it gives a real sense of fun. That was a clip from uh, Posh Diagobar, the Louis Marcus Oscar nominated uh, film from 1973. I have to, <laughs> the minute I saw the title of this film, I said, tell me more, please. You Ming is Anam Dom. That's why you, M-I-N-G, is Anam Dom. A, a, a great story here, Soniva. Yeah, well, it, you know what, John? It's a, it's a film that a lot of people remember and refer to when you think about Irish language production. So mm. it's, it's a funny little film about a Chinese boy who decides, he spins the globe one day and decides he's going to travel the world. And his finger hits onto Ireland, decides he's going to visit and learns that the national language is Irish. So he learns how to speak Irish and arrives into Dublin um, and expects everyone he encounters to communicate with him in Irish. And of course, nobody can. And when he attempts to speak Irish, people think that it's Chinese or whatever. Yeah. But it's it, it was, do you know, it was very interesting when it was released. Daniel O'Hara made 2003. So I, I think people are, are wiser about Irish now. I think there probably is less of that, um, you know, bewilderment yeah. around the Irish language, um, particularly by, by, you know, by, by foreigners. And last night's nomination of Colin Kuhn, I think, um, will introduce the whole of concept of, um, you know, Irish language, despite the fact that Saturday Night Live don't seem to understand oh, what's yeah, going not, on. But anyway. Let's not go there. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen the Saturday Night Live sketch and the version of Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, I'm tempted to say don't go look at it, but just go look at it and throw I, your eyes up to heaven, I'm, I'm guessing. Is that what you absolutely. do yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, back to this collection here, there's, there's so much here that would make you 
yeah. intrigued and proud to be Irish. And, you know, another film there that I think is fascinating is one of a series made in the 1950s um, by the National Film Institute, actually, our, our forebears. So um, Voyage to Recovery, our Thirst Tiarnav, is a film about TB and it's dramatised. Um, Joe Lynch um, from Glen Row uh, plays a young man who, who has TB. But mm. what intrigues me is the fact that there's that all of these informational films were dramatised in Ireland, you know, in 19, early 1950s, because there wasn't a film industry and there was all of these great actors. And rather than just leaving them on the stage, you know, they, they put them in yeah. films, but they put them in these curious little information films, but they shot them in Irish and English. So they'd make the film Taurus Tiarnav, Oscailga, and then the same cast would make the film again in English, which I just think is like <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, and then um, it tells you something too about perhaps the status of the language, you know, at that time that there were actors now, and that's becoming the case again and again and more and more now when we think of Paul Mescal and his Cúpla Fuckle and we think of the great actors who are working across both Irish and English language Fuilóthar right absolutely. now, today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think over the years you saw quite a good deal of state support for Irish in film, whether it was Rinne Gaeltota or Gaelin or the National Film Institute, um, you know, or even as far back as 1934, when the Department of Education asked Robert Clarity to make a little film to accompany Man of Aran, because they saw Man of Aran is in English, they speak yeah. Irish on Aran, so they made Ihe Janikas back in 1934. So it's not a new phenomenon at all. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a vast history, um, some of which you can see for free, uh, on yep. the player and you can get all your rallies around the world to watch it too Absolutely absolutely. Well listen now I'm going to finish up with a little bit of you Ming Asanam Dom because I love the end of this clip Thanks for sharing your thoughts around some of the uh, films that are available to, to us on that archive I'll give people details exactly of where they can get it uh, after we listen to this clip Thanks for being with us this evening Suniva Thanks Sean Six years of work August can I make joke how did Sanam do it? You mean? You mean Sanam do How did my name on chin? In ye? I was lovely until Glelga. Don't me on tanga ma, but what lum vague mahoni in Erin? Ah, never quit Glelga ma. Ni higgin ain't ye caught it there. Sean, two points, please. Yeah, yeah. Caught my shavy egg from Glelga. Or Captain Go Batune. Better than half me if my own. Oh, Tom, is far good. No, I can quit this modine as a here show. Nihigum. Lorita Berla on show. Berla? Berla. Oh, Hassana. Nila read her Gaelica. Nila Rita. Ach, a gock fogger. Well, Tom Tiang own, ach, Nila Rita, ach, a group like Yonturnering. Here, did you know that El Paddy could speak Chinese? There you go. Yu Ming is Alam Dom. Uh, and that's, a, that's a story that's well worth looking into for sure. Uh, the Chinese man that comes to Ireland in the hope of speaking, uh, learns Irish in order to come and live here and finds that he can't find anybody to speak the language for him. There we go. That was Sonny Flynn telling us about Gyarsganon on Gartlon, the IFI Archive Player, which is available on ifiarchiveplayer.ie forward slash Gyarsganon uh, forward slash. But I'm sure if you go to the IFI, 
website you'll find it easily enough from there that is our lot for this Monday evening Liam Murphy and Paul Shields researched Amandine Passo-Devine was the broadcast coordinator Harry Buckless was on sound this evening and tonight's programme was produced by Olin McGon back with you tomorrow night 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1 John Creedon will be with you after the news